0: Part Two, Section Seventeen of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy, Section Thirty Four. They had passed without a single word spoken down through the laurels and gilder roses to the river bank then he had turned to the right and gone along it under the dove house to the yew trees there he had stopped in the pitch darkness of that foliage it seemed to her dreadfully still if only there had been the faintest breeze the faintest lisping of reeds on the water one bird to make a sound but nothing Nothing save his breathing, deep, irregular, with a quiver in it. What had he brought her here for? To show her how utterly she was his? Was he never going to speak? Never going to say whatever it was he had in mind to say? If only he would not touch her! Then he moved, and a stone dislodged fell with a splash into the water. She could not help a little gasp. How black the river looked! But slowly, Beyond the dim shape of the giant poplar, a shiver of light stole outwards across the blackness from the far bank, the moon whose rim she could now see rising of a thick gold like a coin above the woods. Her heart went out to that warm light. At all events there was one friendly inhabitant of this darkness. Suddenly she felt his hands in her waist. She did not move. Her heart beat too furiously. But a sort of prayer flittered up from it against her lips. And the grip of those heavy hands was such a quivering force. His voice sounded very husky and strange. Olive, this can't go on. I suffer. My God, I suffer. A pang went through her. A sort of surprise. Suffer. She might wish him dead. But she did not want him to suffer. God knew. And yet gripped by those hands, she could not say, I am sorry. He made a sound that was almost a groan, and dropped to his knees. Feeling herself held fast, she tried to push his forehead back from her waist. It was fiery hot, and she heard him mutter, Have mercy, love me a little. But the clutch of his hands, never still on the thin silk of her dress, turned her faint. She tried to ride away, but could not. Stood still again, and at least found her voice. Mercy? Can I make myself love? No one ever could since the world began. Please, please get up, let me go. But he was pulling her down to him, so that she was forced onto her knees on the grass. With her face close to his, a low moaning was coming from him. It was horrible. So horrible. And he went on pleading, the words all confused, not looking in her face. It seemed to her that it would never end, that she would never get free of that grip, away from that stammering, whispering voice. She stayed by instinct, utterly still, closing her eyes. Then she felt his gaze for the first time that evening on her face, and realized that he had not dared to look until her eyes were closed for fear of reading what was in them. She said very gently, Please let me go. I think I'm going to faint. He relaxed the grip of his arms. She sank down and stayed unmoving on the grass. After such utter stillness that she had hardly knew whether he were there or not, she felt his hot hand on her bare shoulder. Was it all to begin again? She shrank down lower still, and a little moan escaped her. He let her go suddenly, and when at last she looked up, he was gone. She got to her feet trembling, and moved quickly from under the yew trees. She tried to think, tried to understand exactly what this portended for her, for him, for her lover, but she could not. There was around her thoughts the same breathless darkness that brooded over this night. But to the night had been given that pale gold moon ray, to herself nothing, no faintest gleam, as well tried to pierce below the dark surface of that water. She passed her hands over her face and hair and dress. How long had it lasted? How long had they been out here? And she began slowly moving back towards the house. Thank God. She had not yielded to fear or pity, not uttered falsities, not pretended she could love him and betrayed her heart. That would have been the one unbearable thing to have been left remembering. She stood long looking down, as if trying to see the future in her dim flower-beds. Then, bracing herself, hurried to the house. No one was on the veranda, no one in the drawing-room. She looked at the clock, nearly eleven. Ringing for the servant to shut the windows, she stole up to her room. Had her husband gone away as he had come, or would she presently again be face to face with that dread, the nerve of which never stopped aching now, dread of the night when she was near? She determined not to go to bed, and drawing a long chair to the window, wrapped herself in a gown and lay back. The flower from her dress, miraculously uncrushed in those dark minutes on the grass, she set in water beside her at the window. Mark's favorite flower, he had once told her. It was a comfort with its scent and hue and memory of him. Strange that in her life, with all the faces seen and people known, she had not loved one till she had met Lenin. She had even been sure that love would never come to her, had not wanted it very much, had thought to go on well enough, and pass out at the end, never having known, or much care to know, full summer. Love had taken its revenge on her now for all the slighted love offered her in the past, for the one hated love that had tonight been on its knees to her. They said it must always come once to every man and woman, this witchery, this dark sweet feeling, springing up. Who knew how or why she had not believed but now she knew and whatever might be coming she would not have this different since all things changed she must change and get old and be no longer pretty for him to look at but this in her heart could not change she felt sure of that it was as if something said this is forever beyond life beyond death this is forever he will be dust and you dust but your love will live Somewhere in the woods, among the flowers, or down in the dark river, it will haunt, for it only you have lived. Then she noticed that a slender silvery winged thing, unlike any moth she had ever seen, had settled on her gown close to her neck. It seemed to be sleeping, so delicate and drowsy, having come in from the breathless dark, thinking perhaps that her whiteness was a light, what dim memory did it rouse something of him something he had done in the darkness on a night like this ah yes that evening after gorbio the little owl moth on her knee he had touched her when he took that cozy wan velvet eyed thing off her she leaned out for air what a night whose stars were hiding in the sheer heavy warmth whose small round golden moon had no transparency a night like a black pansy with a gold little heart silent for with the trees that whispered so much at night not even the aspens had voice the unstirring air had a dream solidity against her cheeks but in all the stillness what sentiency what passion is in her heart could she not draw him to her from those woods from that dark gleaming river draw him from the flowers and trees and the passion mood of the sky Draw him up to her, waiting here, so that she was no more of this craving creature, but one with him and the night. And she let her head droop down on her hands. All night she stayed there at the window, sometimes dozing in the chair, once waking with a start, fancying that her husband was bending over her, had he been and stolen away. And the dawn came, dew grey, filmy and wistful, woven round each black tree, and round the white dove cot falling scarf-like the the river, and the the chirrupings of birds stirred among the leaves as yet invisible she slept then end of section 34